Welcome to a special edition of Clinical Lab Chat, part of the MedCore Podcast Network. Today's episode is sponsored by Sysmax America, Inc. I'm Chris Wolski, Director of Business Intelligence for CLP, and today I'll be speaking with Daniel Johnson about best practices for clinical laboratory quality control and quality assurance programs. Dan is Assistant Director of Marketing for Informatics and Service at Sysmax America, Inc., leading the team responsible for introducing new digital innovations that shape and advance healthcare. Uh, among these innovations are the CareSphere uh, workflow, workflow solution, uh, the CareSphere analyzer management, Sysmex validation solution, Beyond Care Quality Monitor, automated inventory solutions, and Sysmex WAM, or WAM. Since taking over uh, CLP more than a year ago, I've really uh, gained an appreciation of laboratory operations and best practices. And one thing that I think we can't emphasize enough is QC and QA workflow processes. And uh, Dan, I'm looking forward to learning uh, a lot and think our audience is as well about all the things that they could do for better QC and QA uh, processes. So. I always like to start with the tough stuff, and Dan, so I'm going to put you on the line here. What's the top challenges labs face with QC and QA programs today? Yeah, well, that is a tough one. <laughs> so um, I've identified kind of three areas where I feel there's top challenges with um, quality assurance and quality programs. First is that people don't view QC or quality assurance as a program, they view it more as a task. And the more that they view it as a task, I feel that it becomes a habit. And then the question is, is it a good habit or a bad habit that people fall into? So that's the first challenge. Um, the second challenge is that people are concerned about sharing their data. And this goes for patient data, but also QC data as well. And how can we, as a healthcare organization, or my organization, improve ourselves and everyone else if we don't have access to that data as well. And then following that second one, the third challenge is that now that we have the data, or if we ever get it, what do we do with it, right? As a, as a my organization, we have good ideas with do with it, but what about the, the, labor, the laboratories? What about the healthcare systems? Are they even using quality control data to improve processes or using the data that's from other quality aspects in the organization back into the lab and back to the patient. So those are the top challenges that I see with um, quality assurance programs or QC today. Right. And one one issue, too, that I think we, we've talked about uh, when we were preparing for this program is that the difference between looking at QC and QA is a task versus a program. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, I know that, because I know that's kind of a, an issue too. If you just look at this as just a, a task oriented uh, issue as opposed to an overarching program. And what does that mean for labs, labs and their workflow? Exactly. So from a workflow perspective, I've seen people have a failed QC point and then they just rerun QC again and they rerun it again and again and again until it's in and then they can move on with their day. So 
um, something that Albert Einstein said is that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. And it's just insane that I feel that people just run QC and they view it as like a task. The components of that is that when QC fails, it's actually an art to fix it. And people don't like spending time crafting this art or spending time trying to understand if it's a reagent issue, if it's something with the analyzer. It could be that the gauges are going off and not clicking the right number of clicks so you can get the right number of fluids to their systems. And they're just rerunning the QC, expecting to go in and be good to go. And that's where I feel that it's becoming more of a task than versus a program. And adding to that is that there's other components for a QC or QA program is that when was the maintenance last performed? Um, how did it compare to the other analyzers? And where did it compare to a bigger peer mean group? Once we have this information, this is great. But a lot of this information that we have is that it's a reactive in nature. So they're waiting for the failed QC points instead of also being proactive. And we've seen that laboratories have had limited staff. And, it's, and it, we've been saying that every vendor out there has been saying that there's limited staff that labs have. So they, they really have a struggle being proactive with, with QC and QA programs. And what I'm trying to do is like, well, how do we make this a proactive program? And I think that's one of the key components of moving this from a task into a program. If we start becoming this on the other side, being reactive, they're just going to react. It's going to create that bad habit that we were talking about before, right? It, right. It's just, it deeply ingrains into it. And so we need to move forward to being proactive. And the components of that being proactive is having real-time data at your fingertips and that it's actionable and that I'll talk about a little bit later because it's a huge component for, for, for this is be also becoming automated as well. How do we automate right. actionable insights for that? And we've done this before in my organization where we actually track. It's really crazy. <laughs> we know a lot about devices via of our Internet of Things. We call it SNCS. But we're able to dial into our systems and monitor how much electricity and power is going to a laser on our systems. And if right. that laser starts increasing a little bit and a little bit, a little bit more, we actually get a flag in our systems and we automatically send a service engineer out there. And that's wow. a huge component of a proactive quality assurance program and not just an application or a software, even though I'm the software guy, you know, we're, we need to think beyond that simple aspect is that we need to grow up because if we can fix a problem before it starts, then you won't have to have that bad QC point and have that tech that reruns QC over and over again, just like Albert Einstein said, it's just insanity, right? Because they're yeah. expecting something, a different result. And it's also more efficient in terms of, and not just, you know, you're getting through that, you know, you're getting that machine back uh, recalibrated, but it's also, you're saving that technician's time. You're uh, being able to run the tests that those clinicians and those patients want to know the answers to, and you're saving, um, you're saving um, materials too. You're not wasting, uh, you're not having downtime on the machine. You're not wasting materials as well. Absolutely. And that, that all aligns to improving the workflows. And when we consider being proactive, real-time quality program, it ends up saving everyone's time and, and eventually the patient because they get the results out right the first time. And the key component is that they get them out consistently because then it becomes a true quality and control program. Right. 
for sure. Yeah, I mean, you've talked a little bit about data a couple times and, and some challenge. You know, you have data, what do you do with it? Talk a little bit about that and what does that mean to use your data properly, I guess, for a QA or, or a QC program? So how, how should labs be looking at their data, uh, at least in the context of a QA or QC program? Another great question. Even going into the laboratory with data, I think there's a really neat analogy we can start with is that with consumer data, right? I actually recently got a new dog and I'm very happy with it. <laughs> Congrats. And, I'm, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm on my phone and my phone's near me and I'm talking about dog food and crates and, and all of a sudden on my social media, guess what pops up? You know, right. all the dog foods and crates and stuff like that, that Amazon wants to sell me and all this fun stuff. So we're getting used to this consumerization of data and how it's being used. But when we take that and then move it into the laboratory and even the healthcare system space reference lab, it doesn't matter, healthcare space, data becomes a very hoarded um, aspect. And it's almost like we're trying to create a, and, and there's that saying that data is a gold mine and we're trying to try to get as much as it underneath this as possible. But it doesn't make sense to me because if we hoard the data, we don't know what to do with it. That's an, it's another conversation. Right. But, but all of a sudden, it's, I feel that it's in the wrong spot. It, it should be everyone's data to share, um, especially if we're trying to improve overall uh, healthcare outcomes. And I think that when we have QC and QA operational data, I think that's even a benefit even more to share. It's not patient data. So I think people can adjust to starting with sharing that QC and Q, QA data. And with that information, I feel that they can um, start seeing trends. They can put into a bigger database. They can say, hey, a lab in California is seeing somewhere the lab in Germany is seeing right? And seeing these trends. So they're not wasting it. We're talking about workflows, not wasting their time trying to fix the same problem because they found issues with the reagents or they found issues with the type of lot number of the laser that was, that was an issue. So having this data available and shared is much more powerful than sitting under a huge mine of it with no actual thought or ability to mine that data. Right. Let's talk about solutions then. So I think data, I think, you know, you're a data guy and I think data is, is, and particularly what you're talking about to assert, if I understand it too, is one of the big negatives is if you silo, uh, silo data and that's always, you know, a, a recipe for, for failure, uh, no matter where, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, industry you're working in. I know I know you talked a little bit about inter Internet of Things. Um, what about big data? I mean, is that something that's coming out because of things like Internet of Things and 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 all this data we're getting getting out? I mean, how do how do labs take that concept of the big data concept and maybe you could talk a little bit about what that is and make it mean something for for the labs and for uh, for their labs and for uh, QA and QC programs? Yeah, it's a Another great question. So for the Internet of Things, a lot of organizations are moving towards it. They probably have it, but they don't call it that yet. Right. Um, but but in but the kind of level set for everyone to understand, it's basically an application where we go and pull data safely from a, a system so we can use that data to do the preventative maintenance I was talking about, checking on the lasers. Um, there's even uh, new new software that I've been working on that auto-predicts the amount of reagents that are used on a system so you can get a really cool shopping list to know that this is how much I should order uh, for next month and predict the seasonality and all that fun stuff. So this is what we're using 
um, this Internet of Things for. And at Sysmax, my organization, we process half a billion quality control points a year. And so we're sitting on a huge mountain of information and we're able to use that data. And this is one of the issues that we are challenged we're trying to overcome. It's like, how do we smartly use that, all that, those half a billion points? And what we've done is that we've seen, we can uh, able to identify trends in QC. We're able to look at drift. And one cool point about our QC material that we use on our hematology systems is that it's an organic material. It's made of a bunch of cells. And if you notice over time, these cells start degrading organically, right? They break down. Right. So when you have your package insert that someone gives you, the day one is perfect, right? But when you look at right. day 30 or day 60, it, the ranges organically drift because of cells. But does the packet insert state that? No. So what we've done with the big data is that we process all of this and in real time keep on microprocessing as more people start sharing this information via the Internet of Things into our cloud and adjust those ranges as we get closer to the end of the lot. And what that does mean, what that does mean for the, for the workflows in the lab is that when they run the patient, um, the QC sample on day one and day 60, that the ranges are dynamic, that they'll have less QC issues because they actually have the right range at the right time because of the life cycle of that um, QC product. And we've been doing this for years, actually. And that's why people really love our systems because they're, they always seem in because they actually are in because we accommodate these organic drifts within our products. And right. that's one of the examples of having the big data in our laboratory. Yeah. That's great. So uh, now QC and QA programs are really, and and I'm not a laboratorian, so this is, as I understand it, about uh, standardizing processes. And you've talked a little, I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit. How are you addressing that at Sysmax? I mean, how, how or how should labs, at least in general, uh, address uh, standardizing their processes and workflows? Standardizing workflows, there's two major components of it in my mind. First, it's automation. As soon as we start automating our rules, our processes, the procedures, then we can have this consistency, which leads to my second component, which is standardization. And with, with those, with automating and standardizing, we're able to predict um, when QC is going to go out. We're able to upload the way that QC is sent to our, uh, so good, good QC points rather are sent to our big data because we don't want to contaminate it with a bad QC point. And when I say about automation is that there's our packet interest says to invert our QC vial a couple dozen times. I, I can't, it's been a long time since I read a package insert, but it says inverted so many times. So if we have some lab in Hawaii that's doing it 10 times and some lab in all the way across the globe in Taiwan that's doing it another 10, like 15 times or 30 times, then that QC point may not fall in the same spot. So we need to start considering automation. And we can't just look at software for that as well. We've actually really thoughtfully designed new automation components that actually auto-mix the sample. So it does it consistently mm. 50 times. So we're having the right points. So then it comes to my desk and says, okay, now that we have this really cool system that really starts automating these things, I'm like, oh, great. Now I have a, a, pop, a peer mean group that has two different populations, ones that use this system that highly automates and standardize it, and then there's people who, who use it manual by hand. 
So how do you then start differentiating those two as well so you can have the right pyramine group? So there's some examples of like the, the when you start going into the weeds to start standardizing and automating, not everyone can do those two because they might have not the right components and, and so on and so forth. That brings that, that brings up uh, the automation part of this that you're just talking about and the standardization. Also, I just want to go back and revisit something we were talking about a couple minutes ago. Mm-hmm. The idea of the art of QC and QA. I mean, you even with these standardized processes and such, you still have to have technician. Yeah, as a technician or, or, or laboratory manager, you have to have build flexibility within the system because there is problem solving that you're still going to have to do if there if there is an issue. Is it right? Correct. Or, or am I misunderstanding what you're saying here? Yeah. So that's that's a really great point of how do we add the arts and make everyone an artist, right? (laughs) For QA and QC. And what we've actually done is start designing concepts of automated troubleshooting. So people then take, take, we take like the complexity out of it. And what we're doing is that with our newest generation of QC software tools is that when we start seeing QC problems on the analyzer, we identify it, we show it as like, hey, um, we have an issue here, and we actually give them recommendations on how to troubleshoot that. And we've mined our big data to say, hey, once error 12345 comes up, the best solution is to do a, a flow cell cleanse. And okay. once they do that cleanse, then rerun QC instead of immediately running rerunning QC. Because if you start doing that, you're doing what Albert Einstein said again. Which is, yeah. yeah. Rerunning, it's a lot of insanity it. processes. Right. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> We're trying to do the whole Bob Ross paint by number, you know, implementing that into our software. So because we know they're busy laboratories as well. And then so adding on to that with this, since we're kind of going the software design aspect with standardization and consistency is that we've also designed it to to have one dashboard where you can see everything at once. So it's standard. So you say, hey, I see this problem here and identify it and see these type of trends automatically so we're there's a lot of consideration where we're trying to artfully i guess design our software so it takes a lot of the mystery out that it makes everyone an expert okay great and certainly that's where your big data kind of comes into play again uh with with this problem with the problem solving uh aspects all right so you mentioned uh you mentioned a few times internationally uh you know Sysmex I know uh has an international uh presence as well so beyond the US what are some of the challenges that you're seeing uh across the globe uh, there's a lot <laughs> good challenges <laughs> and, and not um okay so there's a, a lot of them I've had the opportunity to observe people run patients and run QC and sometimes QC is an option in some countries right they don't run it. They just assume that the analyzer is good to go. They only see issues when they're running patients. And it's not, they're not doing patient moving averages. They're just watching it like, wow, everyone's really low for white blood cells. There might be a problem. <laughs> That's how <laughs> it's QC. So, you know, talk, we're talking about best practices, but I've seen bad practices there. Um, so it's trying to get everyone to this right, at least a basic level of what QC is and run consistently through the through the globe. And, you know, there's things we can do, mechanisms, um, engineering controls, like using software applications that warn you, that recommend these are the steps you should be taking as well. Um, a lot of the world globally also is standardizing to ISO standards, um, but there's a lot of 
odd interpretations with these types of standards. Even are are in the United States, we have cap and clear and globally up in certain areas. But those standards are interpreted a little differently everywhere. For example, when you run QC for reagent change, when you have concentrated reagents, how often do you get to run QC? If it's auto diluted, there's a lot of like nuances that a lot of innovative vendors are coming out with these type of solutions, but they're not really addressing QC or quality programs as part of launching like new reagents or new operational improvements like concentrated reagents. And on the other hand, when I've seen if we're talking about these countries or customers who only run QC once a week or not at all, we have other we have uh, countries like Germany who have uh, really Bach rules, which are really strict. They're complex. Um, they don't make sense in all disciplines. These are my opinions, by the way. Right, sure, <laughs> so, of course. It's hard to design in software, just dedicated really Bach rules. But at the same we had to accommodate that. So they might be at right. this level that it's at a super high peak of quality control before patient results are being out there. And then we have some people that are just happenstance. Yeah, I'll run it when I have time. So right. trying to get everyone on what a baseline is, what excellence looks like and what the future will lead. And that could be some sort of really buck hybrid or something along those lines. So right. it's hard to get everyone on the same page. Yeah, it certainly is. And you have, as you know, you kind of alluded to, you have some, there's some cultural issues, issues that you come up against as, as well. And in a, in, a, in Way, ways that you don't really expect. Yeah, certainly can be a, a challenge. So, Dan, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a superpower right now. So, if there was one thing you could snap your fingers today and change in terms of QC, not anything else, QC or QA, what would that be and why? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think my the superpower would be is that you would never have to run QC again. Okay. Okay. And um, I don't think I think the future systems and designs of these of these systems will have a load of sensors. It will have some great uh, technology into it, uh, abilities to self heal, to self calibrate. So you won't even miss it. So why even have to run QC? It could be understanding the the deep algorithms between the sensors and the patients to say, yeah, oh, we noticed there's a little deviation. And it would auto QC itself by buying patients or the reagents themselves. I think there has to be a better way than stopping your entire workflow for the day, shutting everything down, running a QC, and then waiting for the results so you can process it again. It it needs to be deeply integrated. And if we can do it without QC material, I know there's probably people who are QC. (laughs) Yeah, they roll their eyes down. You're causing. Gonna, this could be controversial, I think, Dan. Yeah, they're just <laughs> giving me the shifty eye or the shifty yeah. ear at the moment. But yeah. it's just a concept, and it doesn't mean that it's going away tomorrow. But I think there's there's really cool ways that we can maybe think about it as a reagent, or it's a pack, or it's incorporated into the reagent somehow. Like there's a, there's a better way to approach it. And then and then to add to that is that I can also see the future of QC being recorded in a way that no one has ever imagined it before because i think that's one of the big issues with the laboratory today where they see this qc material they run it and they put it in a binder somewhere in the back and they forget about it and only when an inspector walks in they pull it off the shelves and they hopefully they remember to sign (laughs) it off (laughs) right so there's other things that we can talk about for futures is that recording of this information into like a blockchain structure and if people don't know what blockchains with the cryptocurrencies and how they have it, but basically, in, in other words, it's an immutable record. So 
Like, right. I, so if I went into the hospital today and got a CBC and they said, okay, uh, and I got my results of, and everything looked normal, I would love to pinch and zoom into my results so deep that I would know the raw materials of that QC to see if the caster didn't pass and how many times it did pass. So it becomes part of the patient record. And if we start having all of this information in this immutable record or this blockchain, then we can share this information with other vendors, with a bigger data. So this can all of this starts becoming um, kind of open source and available so people can data can do these actionable insights and having these type of records that are in the right format so they're just easily digested and and able to help the, the bigger picture. Well, I, I, I like, I like how you think, Dan, I think that sounds like a good, good idea, idea to me. So, uh, I'm, I'm not giving you the, the sideways eye for sure. Uh, all right. And unfortunately, uh, with that, we've reached the end of our time today, Dan, thanks so much for joining me and giving me some really great insights on the QC and, and QA process. I know you've really opened my eyes and I expect you did the same for our clinical lab audience as well. I also want to again thank uh, your organization, Sysmex uh, America, for uh, sponsoring this special edition of Clinical Lab Chat. And uh, as always, I want to thank you, the laboratorians, for listening and for all you do to contribute to the health of the public. You really are uh, unsung heroes, and, and we're hoping that we're singing your song a little bit uh, with, uh, with Clinical Lab Chat. So uh, look again, look for more episodes of Clinical Lab Chat in the future, and visit us online at clpmag.com and on all of the major social media platforms. And until next time.